I really, really love getting Thomas Lilly or, or Tombro as we call him onto the potty because this dude's an absolute gem, but he's also a genius as well. The reason why I say Thomas is a genius, and he would probably shudder at the idea of me calling him that, but the reason why I say that is because he is able to take very, very difficult and, and high level concepts within strength training and make it very, very simple. And the reason why this is so good is well because of the results that he gets. This dude has coached most of the record holders in Australian powerlifting. Like he's coached most of them at some stage or another. He's a very, very high level coach and very, very knowledgeable while also being a phenomenal powerlifter himself. He's battled through a whole heap of injuries. So this is this is going to be a really, really good uh, podcast or a really good watch for anybody who number one is battling their own issues and their own injuries and wants to look how to work through that. Anyone who wants to get stronger, anyone who wants to reduce their rate of getting injured or anyone who just wants to increase their level of performance and see how a world-leading performance coach actually thinks, works, and acts. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, bro. Yo. Long time no speak, my brother. <coughs> how you doing? Hey, I'm fucking dominating. Life's good. Amazing. I just took a week off. It's like, can you imagine that? Like a whole week of like just cruising. What a sicko. Yeah, I know, man. It was good. <laughs> What's news with you, bro? Other than just opening gyms and making bank and hitting records with clients. Yeah, just chilling, man. Just cruising along. Looks good as well. Fuck yeah. You got some bees. Dude, I do have some bees. How's that? I do. Amazing. Dude, they're, they're so fun. They're like, it, it sounds really weird. So I go and when I meditate, I meditate every day. But there's something about the humming that you can hear, like the hum of the buzz. And sitting out there, it's the most calming thing ever. All of my biomarkers went ridiculously good. And, um, and then also, like when you go in there and you actually open it up, you have to be relaxed because otherwise they get really shitty with you and really, yep. really pissed off. So you've got to be like in a meditative state in order to be with them. I don't, have you ever met a beekeeper before? No, man. Bees, bees, wasps, any sting is my biggest fear. If there was oh. a bee in here, there wouldn't be a Thomas in here. Dude, I've got to, you've got to come up and I'll show you like how to like handle these things. I, know, I need to um, conquer it. Do it, man, because it, it's cool. They're actually like the ones I've got, they're like an Italian mix. So they're very okay. calm. So yep. they, they won't actually go out of their way to sting you. But if you ever meet a beekeeper, they all sound like they've just smoked about five joints. Like they've just been hitting like Snoop Dogg level weed. Um, and they're, uh, they're super, super chill out and super calm. You can see why. Because like spending time around the bees makes you relax, but then you also have to be relaxed to spend mm. time with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I highly, highly, highly recommend getting bees. They're awesome. What's So, you know, besides the fact that um, we need bees, and, uh, you know, it's really good for the environment, good for everything. What was the reason behind getting? Uh, I wanted to increase pollination. So, like, we just bought this place up at, like, just south of Musa. And so we've got, like, heaps of, we've got shitloads of banana trees. We've got, like, every bit of fruit you can imagine that's tropical, right? And I want to make this place pretty well self-sufficient. 
um, self-sufficient, like carbon negative. So like actually like put back into the atmosphere more carbon than what we, what we consume. Um, Sorry, other way around. Um, Like, you know, and so like make it so that it's just a really fucking awesome, like little paradise. Mm. And I thought, well, okay, how can I like make everything hyper fertile, hyper pollinated and just hyper productive and bees were one of the big ones because we have such a dramatic shortage of bees. You know what's crazy? I was talking with beekeepers. Like they've got a massive almond farm somewhere mm. in, in the north of Queensland and he got hired to like come and help pollinate it. But mm. with the, all of the bees that we have in Australia, we could only do 3% of that farm, which is really fucked up. Like That's we so have def- decimated all our bees. Um, you know, in China, right, they have fucked their bees up so much that apparently, so I've been told, and I can't like say that this is like absolute truth, but it sounds good. So I'm going to say it anyway. But so they actually have to like paint the pollen on, like they have to go with a little like brush and actually paint it on because we've killed so many fucking bees. So there was a bunch of researchers from the UK that went to, I think Norway or maybe one of the Scandinavian countries and uh, went under the guise of doing like research as to what they're doing with their bees there, but stole and smuggled a bunch of queen bees back from Google it later. It's it's or I'll find you the article. It's fucking fascinating. Like that's how wild the shortage of bees is worldwide. That fucking universities are stealing bees from other countries. Really? That's fucking insane. That is insane. Because it's actually not that hard to look after bees if we don't just go and shit on their environment. This <laughs> is like you know what's fucked is um uh, like making honey is actually like a really good business. Like it's actually like you make a lot, a lot of money out of bees. You can do very, very well. So up here in Noosa, like we have one, a really good area apparently for bees because of the climate, because of the plants that we have and the amount of pollen and nectar and everything that's available. Like certain pollens and nectars have different like protein percentages and stuff like that. And like, we've got some, apparently some really good stuff here. Mm-hmm. So what people have done, like developers go in, buy up shitloads of land, clear out all this fucking awesome land for bees that's made the, made the area very fertile and build fucking houses on it yeah. when you could have used that same land and you would have made more money over an extended period of time if you were just beekeeping and you just just had bees on there did nothing else you just had bees it's like it's so short-sighted what we're doing and the way that we're like overdeveloping and we're just fucking up all of these prime areas just with development it's crazy hmm. yeah so i'm gonna do my little thing I'm going to have Good. a couple of beehives. I'm, I'm going to keep see. growing them though. Like, cause you, there are ways where you can actually ha- like harvest bees, like Queens mm-hmm. as well. So I'm just going to keep like growing Queens and keep making more and more and more. There's a number of guys around here who are doing it, which is pretty cool. And it's, it's pretty sweet. Like learning from them and seeing how they do it. But yeah, man, you'll have to, you'll have to come up. I'll show you how to do it. So you live in Noosa now? Yeah. Okay, sweet. Uh, Cause I, I got confused. Like you, I lost track after you were in Newcastle. So you're in Newcastle and did you go to Tweed for a while? Yeah, we're in Tweed for a while. That was, um, yeah, that was a, that was a fun little stint. We're in Tweed for a bit. Then we're in Cooley for a bit after that. Um, and then we came up here. I was like, when living in the Gold Coast, it was funny because I said, when we were living in the Gold, I was like, no, nah, this is living. This is awesome. I love this place. And then we moved up here and I was like, oh, fuck, like this is awesome. So then we moved up and then bought a place up here. It's dope, man. It's it's the best. You'll you'll have to come up and check it out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But by the way, dude, I'm keen to keep this potty rolling if you are, if that's cool. Yeah. Oh, what? Is this recording? Is this counted? Yeah, it's already recording. There you go. This is little Nala. Hey, Nala. Say and you can buddy. see she's really aggressive. 
Oh, see, that's how you should be. That's how you need to be, Nala. That is a good dog. <laughs> no, she's awesome. She's um. We've only had her for a couple of weeks now, but she is just beautiful. Just Kelpie Cross Lab. Yeah, she's amazing. Full of beans. <laughs> Full of beans. Got sharp teeth. Yeah, it's nice little sharp little pincers. It's as if she can tell that I'm doing an interview, and she's like, "I'm gonna fuck with Dad right now." <laughs> because otherwise she's an angel, which is really funny. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, man. So dude, the reason why I wanted to get you on and I wanted to, wanted to chat about, not just bees, but um, <laughs> well, I love chatting about bees, is because like you have just been fucking dominating for so long in everything to do with powerlifting. And I'd love to chat with you on that and like your story and where you started, if, if that's okay. Yeah, man. Sounds good. When, where did you actually get your start in powerlifting? <laughs> Um, I, I started doing the sport or being involved in the sport of power thing when I was, when I was 18. So I was a really big obese kid. Um, and I started lifting weights when I was 14, just trying to get shredded and lose weight and be jacked. Um, and then I really wanted to do bodybuilding. Like I bought Arnold's encyclopedia of money, modern bodybuilding and worship that thing and read it every day and still have it on my shelf and, and love that. Um, and, uh, I wanted to do weightlifting when i decided that i probably wasn't ever going to be shredded enough to do bodybuilding so i wanted to do the sport of weightlifting and the weightlifting club that i wanted to go to was too far away i didn't have a license and it was too expensive so my dad wasn't going to pay for it or drive me there um so i was like well that's kind of out of the question i tried it at the commercial gym but just couldn't do it there um, and then i saw a strongman comp and i'm like yeah i'm gonna do strongman so i went to register for the strongman comp and it was sold out and on the same day it was a powerlifting comp so i'm like all right fine i'll do powerlifting uh, so I registered for that comp and fuck, it's just turned into my life. <laughs> well, where, where did you say you, you went and you did that comp? Like, how did you go? Did you, and, and where did that lead you? So this is, yeah, this is back in like 2008 or something, I think 2008 or 2009. Um, I mean, like it was my first crack. I did my first ever 200 kilo deadlift there. So that was, that was exciting. How old were I, you? I was 18. That's legit. That's a good deadlift for 18. It was, I mean, it was back then, but fuck, man, we've got kids in our gyms. They're like 14 years old and deadlifting and squatting over 200 kilos. It's no wild, shit, really. Wild how strong kids are getting. And like, it's just, I mean. That's made me feel weak really quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's insane. They're all little skinny kids as well. It's not, they're not impressive kids. They're just fucking strong. It's wild. Um, so I, I did that. I was competing in uh, freestyle BMX at the same time. So that's, that's like my actual sport like i love that sport if you if you go through my instagram there's more bmx than powers like that's that's my thing i haven't done it in years and years but i was competing in freestyle bmx i was at uni um i had a really bad bad accident on my on my bike and ended up in hospital and got pretty fucked up what did you decided, do? i just came up and it came off and, and bashed my head up pretty bad um ended up with a pretty pretty wild concussion was out for quite a while and yeah it was just just enough for me to go well and the reality is that sport back then was a nothing sport. There was nothing in it. You couldn't make a life out of it. It was just like, yeah, a, yeah. it is now, but back then, no way. Um, and I was like, well, my brain's more important than riding little bikes. So I kept riding, but I toned it right down and just um, made my sport powerlifting. So that was the real turn for me. Um, I did this stupid squat, Guinness World Record squat thing where I squatted the, the, to the most amount of weight in 24 hours broke this Guinness world record. Um, and then after that, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do the actual sport of powerlifting. No more dumb shit. What, what made you <laughs> want to do that? Uh, I saw someone do it on a forum online 
And I was like, that doesn't sound that hard. Uh, so I started training for it and then I broke it. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you still hold that? No, no, no. So annoying story. Like if you break a Guinness world record, there's two ways you can do it. You can either pay to have an officiator from Guinness come and watch. And so if they're there, you get accredited with the record on the spot. Mm -hmm. Or you can, um, they give you the judging standards, like what you need to do, what you need to present as evidence, submit the evidence, and within a couple of months, they'll verify the record. So I went mm -hmm. down that route because I didn't have the money to fly someone out to, to watch it. So I did that. Um, and in the time period of the record getting verified, someone else broke it and had someone someone they're verifying. So oh, I got credited. Funny. I got credited with the record, but I never got in, in the book or anything. Did you get a certificate though, saying that you got it? No, you had to pay heaps of money for it, so I didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't up. care enough about it. Like it, it, to me, it wasn't that special. It was just something I wanted to do for me. So. Yeah, that's cool, man. Okay, so then you started <laughs> going like hard with powerlifting after that. Yeah, yeah. So started started pushing more more down the powerlifting route as a as an actual sport, um, and I've been doing it since then. So that was in two thousand and. I think I did that record when I was 20. So that would have been, yeah, 12 years ago, 2009, 2010, something like that. And since then, I've been pushing pretty hard in, in the actual sport. You've uh, you, you got one of your viral videos as well. That was uh, one of my favorite videos of you. <laughs> of me passing out. Yeah. It's so yeah. annoying. It always pops up on like, like, I don't mind if it pops up on a Jim Fail compilation thing, but you know, there's real cheesy ads where it's like, there's one that comes up all the time where it's like so-and-so was lifting in the gym and had a horrible accident. It's just got all these ripped footage off YouTube and stuff and like stock footage of doctors. And the whole thing is like three minutes long to sell lifting straps. Mm. Say that if you use straps, you won't get hurt. And the opening shot is me passing out. It's so annoying. Oh, it's funny though. Well, what was that like? Like seeing your mug like getting plastered everywhere for passing out on a deadlift. Oh, I mean, it's just funny. There's there's better pass outs than than mine anyway, so I prefer to watch those ones. Yeah, true. There's a lot more common ones that pop up. <laughs> and and then, so how did you get into coaching after that? Because you lifted at a pretty fucking high level. Like, why did you train? When did you transfer from athlete to coach? I never really did. Uh, as in, like, when I started coaching, I've, I've still been lifting the whole time. I've never separated yeah. the two. I think it's bullshit when people do. You know, like, oh, I really have to focus on my business, or I have to focus on my lifting. It's like, come on. Are you still going that hard though at the moment? Yeah, yeah. I've got a competition December 12th and it should be Fuck my yeah. best one ever. Yeah. What are you going to total? What are you aiming to total? Oh, my my goal is to go 900 kilos raw total. Um, if Sick. I can do that, I'll be over the moon. Um, but I've been pretty hurt. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Gotcha. Because you've always had gnarly. Like I remember last time we were chatting, you had a gnarly hip injury, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Yeah, I've had um, I've had three surgeries on my hips, two on my left and one on my right. And um, yeah, since then it's, it it gives me a bit of grief around my hips, my back, and some some other stuff that goes on as a result of of having nasty hips. Um, I had a surgeon's consult a couple of months ago, and he was pretty much like, "We can't do anything anymore, so you're just going to have to ride it out until you get it replaced in a ten or fifteen years or whatever." Really? Um, yeah, it's it's this real weird irony though, because lifting has made the quality of the bone uh, really really high. Like my bones are super, super, super healthy. So without lifting, um, the congenital issues that I have in my hips would probably cause a lot more pain than what they do. Mm. But the thing that helps them hurts the most. Like I don't get pain in anything else besides lifting weights. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. It's what annoying. makes you continue? So like, because my um my my hips fucked at the moment. I, like my um 
my internal rotation on my on my right hip is just horrid, like horrific. And like you know, when you get past that, like that pretty much that parallel, and you need to have that movement in your hip, like it, I've got nothing. It's just bang, it's just stuck, and it fucking jams me out through my knee, through my ankle, and it's just fucking painful. And to be perfectly frank, I was like. And this is this has been going on for me since I started lifting. That's why I've never had big legs, never had a good squat. Why my deadlift looks like a yank, like it's an ugly deadlift. You've seen me deadlift; it's, it's not pretty. <laughs> but it's like I, I always, um, for me, I've always erred away from like fuck it. I'm in pain. Like I'm not going to keep pushing it. Physical pain in terms of like pushing myself till I pass out or I spew. Like I'm okay with that. But like. Mm-hmm joint pain i'm like nah no way so what makes you continue pushing through when you do have that pain there like in your bones i I guess the ability to find alternative strategies to keep making progress Hmm. um like i I don't feel like i'm i don't feel like i'm done yet Uh, like the pain's there but it's manageable manageable to the point where i I think probably the big clincher for me would be when it impacts my quality of life so like lifting is really important to me but walking my dog for an hour and a half every morning is way more important. Like that's my meditation. That's where all my thinking happens. That's where all my growth happens. That's where all my like integration from learning happens. I have to do that. Like that is a no brainer for me. So if my hips start walk- hurting when I'm walking, it's an easy choice. It's like, if this is being caused by my sport, I'll change sport or I'll modify my sport, do bench only or deadlifts only or whatever. Um, so at the moment, because it's only an issue in the lifts itself and really only an issue at the very top end. So I only have to deal with it for a short amount of time when I'm peaking. It's, it's manageable. Yeah. Okay. How how do you manage it? Lots of rehab work, lots of movement work, um, load management. Like I I can't handle doing high volumes at heavy weights. I have to like, at the moment I can only do one squat a week, one deadlift a week. That's it. So just work top, top single. That's it. Lots of anti-inflammatories. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's about it what what anti-inflammatories do you use uh celebrex yeah gotcha how's that go oh, great i mean like it, it does it does the job but i hate it like i avoid it as much as possible have you tried banging in any peptides yeah yeah i've used um uh bpc 157 that that makes quite an impact i mean like it's kind of like think of it like a, a fan on a hot day right it it changes but it, there's a point where it's just fucking hot so like you have the fan on, but still fucking hot. So it's like, there's no cartilage in my left hip. It's full of bone spurs. It's riddled with arthritis. It's like, you can do whatever you want to manage the pain. It's still going to fucking hurt. Still going to fucking hurt. The, the cool thing I always, uh, from my reading and from the, the consults that I paid for with guys who are way smarter than me about BPC and TB500 is that you can just take more. And they continually get better. I think it's TB500 is good up to like 20 milligrams a day or something stupid. And then BPC157, you just take fucking more and it gets more and more effective the more you take, which is crazy. I think the scary thing for me is like, um, you know, they've, they've got they've got such good backing and everything like that. And they're being more and more looked at as time goes by. And um, I'm sure as time goes by, if it wasn't for the whole AFL thing, I have no doubt that they wouldn't be considered bad or negative or illicit or whatever because it's fucking peptide we create peptides every fucking day when we eat a meal um the thing that scares me is like what is what is true long-term use what is true long-term use at a high dose look like like are you going to grow a fucking fifth year or something like that you know like big dick big side effect (laughs) will grow you will be hung you'll get an extra three inches (laughs) (laughs) that's it that's it who knows so yeah like try and use that stuff uh sparingly i suppose yeah, I know what you mean. I was um I was actually talking with some fuck, this is a couple of years ago, and they were saying that they were just 
starting to see the side effects of long-term high-level peptide use um, with guys getting issues in around the pituitary gland, I think it was. Uh, which is t- this is this is this I'm talking about bodybuilders using it, so mm. very much on the fucking extreme because you know bodybuilders they just fucking oh this is good take more, um yeah. Uh, but yeah they just first started seeing it that was mostly with the with the um GHA uh, yeah, yeah yeah those they're the they're the big ones but nothing so far with the TBs or or the BP, BPCs or anything like that mm. which is cool yeah like you'd think from a biological perspective that excess of that that's not being used would just be excreted but again who knows yeah who knows it's interesting we um you don't know until you know like it hasn't been around that long like it hasn't i mean how long have peptides been around they're only like 20 30 years now yeah in the in the context of what we're talking about for sure yeah the babies yeah very new very new okay and so like in terms of your coaching man like you've coached a metric shitload of record holders, which is <laughs> super cool. I don't even know how many you've coached now. Like, what's the tally up to? In terms of just people or people that are doing big things? People that are doing big things in terms of number of record holders and people as well. I'd love to know that second. But first of all, I'd love to know, like, how many record holders have you coached now? Honestly, I, I wouldn't have a clue. I, I wouldn't have a clue. I, I don't. I haven't counted or kept metrics or anything like this. Because I saw um, one of you guys just recently broke another bench record. Yeah, yeah. So of the top four bench presses ever in Australia, I've coached three of them, including the top two. Um, coached the first guy to ever bench 300 kilos raw uh, in Australia. That's Andrew. He, he broke it again. He did 306.5, which puts him number 10 in the world ever. That's a big fucking bench. <laughs> He's a big fucking dude. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, record holders would be in the hundreds. People over the years would be in the thousands, but I, I have no idea. So, like, with that, man, like, you're clearly doing something right. I reckon you probably know a little bit about powerlifting. Like, what? why is it – what about your methods or, or why is it you feel that you've been able to have such success at such scale? Hmm. I, I, honestly, like, as cheesy as it is, it's just building a system around this stuff. Um, it's the one thing in fitness in general, but especially in strength sports and especially in powerlifting uh, that we don't have. Like, what is a squat? What does a squat look like? What should it be? There's, there's no universal standard for this stuff. Um, what I've tried to do is create a universal standard and then build everything around that universal standard. And in doing so and having a consistent approach, you quickly iron out what works, what doesn't work. You quickly iron out, um, you get a far bigger sample size to work with in terms of like changing everyone's technique. You're doing something different with everyone. If you're changing everyone's program, that becomes a sample size of one. You know, of of each of those um, each of those archetypes. If you treat people the same way that a physiotherapist treats people, then your sample size becomes gigantic. Like what I mean by that is, if you fuck up your shoulder, you go to the physio. They don't go, okay, James, let's take a photo of your shoulder, let's take a CT scan and MRI. We're going to send that away to a modeling agency. They're going to make a perfect model of your shoulder, bring it back. Then I'm going to say, hey, James, this is your shoulder. This is what you've done to it, and this is how we're going to fix it. No, fuck that. They just pull out a model of a shoulder under, under a bench and they're like, hey, James, this is a shoulder. You're a human. You have a shoulder. This is how a shoulder works. This is what you've done to it. This is how we're going to fix it. That's how I treat technique. That's how I treat lifting. It's like, yeah, you're built differently to me, but we're all the same animal doing the same movement. Within that movement, there's certain biomechanical rules that apply to everyone. If we can build a system around that, then it's about taking the individual and applying it to those rules, not the other way around. 
Why did you choose it to? So like with that, that's super counterintuitive for a lot. I used to coach the fucking CT MRI, MRI scan wave like back in the day. Very fucking difficult to coach. But it also, it seems logical when you think about it, like that every everyone's different. So we should treat them that way. What caused you to go around and look at a more scalable approach where you have a larger sample size? Um, the, the interesting thing about the statement that you just made, because most coaches exist in that, school of thought, right? Mm. Is that we're both doing the same thing. Mm. As in like, think of another powerlifting coach that says, everyone's different. I'm going to treat everyone like they're brand new. They're not. They've got a picture in their head of what a squat is. When this client comes to them, they're going to be do everything they can to, to get the, the client to conform to the picture of that squat. Yes. The thing is you end up with that mindset when you can't fix problems. So if they don't fix the fit the box, if they don't fit the mold, you're like, well, they're different. They're unique. They're an individual. The rules must not apply to them. And so because we don't have a system that's ever taught to us, like you as a coach, you as a PT back in the day, you just figured it out, right? No one yeah. told you this is how you do it. You just start doing shit and you just figure it out. That's how we all do it. And so if there's holes in your system, if there's holes in your knowledge base, you're going to be convinced that there are outliers. This is the same as the person that comes to you and they're like, I can't do that. You know what? I've tried every single diet there is and none of them works for me. What are you going to do as a coach? You're going to be like, well, no, there's stuff that you're missing and we're going to figure that out and we're going to solve this problem for you. Mm. Uh, the people that are saying, no, 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 there's outliers. We are all individual. To me, all I hear is I've tried every diet and it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, if you've exhausted everything that you know, it doesn't mean that there's not a solution out there. Totally. It's funny. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you say, I've tried everything. It doesn't work. And the more that you do, the more that you go down that path, you get stuck in this thing of like, I'm not fixable. I'm broken. I'm never going to be better. Yeah. I mean, like I've taken the same route. It's like the more I sort of thought, fuck, we're all the same. Like, look at all these patterns. Look at the way that this person's built. These are the breakdowns that they have. This is how we're going to address that problem to get them back towards the gold standard. It's the same process. It's just done in a, in a different way. So what is the gold standard for you? I mean, I know that's a fucking difficult question to answer, <laughs> but, for, but for you, if you had to break it down simply and basically, imagine I'm a moron, that should be pretty easy, right? <laughs> but, um, uh, if you had to break it down, what is the gold standard for, for a lifter that you look for? So we at Zero teach, um, teach the gold standard of, of each lift in three biomechanical rules. And the three biomechanical rules center around the three big areas that we're using in the three lifts, which are sort of shoulders, torso, and hips. Um, so rule number one in each of the lifts is where does the power come from? Uh, rule number two in each of the lifts is breathing and bracing, which is really about how do we transfer that power? Uh, and rule number three is like the supporting element at the other end of that. So in a squat, where does the power come from? Muscles, your legs and hips. We have a series of things that the hips should do. And then we get the client to conform to that by modifying, uh, the, modifying their position, changing where their feet are, the angle of their feet, that sort of thing to get them to express that rule. Uh, and then breathing, bracing, then upper back tightness. <laughs> So, yeah, cool. yeah, the, the lifts are broken down in a very simple manner, but it can only be simple because we understand the complexities of depth. What do you mean by that? As in like when, when it comes down, if you watch, uh, I mean, you've seen me in action, but if you watch me take someone uh, through a technique session, it, it doesn't seem overwhelmingly complex. There's like three rules, a couple of very basic cues. But if you, do, if you watch me do that with 10 people, all their squats will end up looking exactly the same in mm. terms of how they look, in terms of, you know, they might be standing different, they have their hands different, they'll look different in that regard according to the individual. 
but the overall movement should look very, very similar across the board, should look consistent. Um, and, you know, that's because we can refine it to a very basic language to impart on the client because we understand the complexities. When you start to look at the complexities of how we've arrived there, there's a lot of shit going on. There's a lot of shit to understand about uh, physiology, about human movement that we have to put together to arrive at something simple. Totally. So what are the the big mistakes that you see, the most common big no-nos that you see people doing every day? In, in terms of what? In terms of when we're coaching somebody. Um, I mean, ultimately, it's just not having a consistent system. Ultimately, it's just like most coaches just have a bag of cues. It's like, let's, let's try this. Okay, that doesn't work. Let's try this. That doesn't work. Let's try this. And these cues kind of like arise from what the coach wants the lift to look like. So think of a common squat cue, push your knees up, right? They see someone squatting, they're like, push your knees up. It doesn't work for the 10th person out of, you know, the 10th the person out of 10 people, the other nine people it works for for them. So they're like, push your knees up. Oh, that didn't work for that person. Twist your feet into the floor, open your hips. They try a bunch of things. If they don't arrive at a, an answer that satisfies them, they just go, that 10th person doesn't know what they're doing. They're uncoordinated and they're not built for this. They're not made for it, you know, and they kind of th- throw that out. So I think um, that that arises from a very visual uh, approach to coaching. People want a lift to look a particular way. Yeah. Uh, and th- we need to recognize that the visual outcome is a byproduct of the mechanics that happen underneath it. Mm. Uh, once you understand the mechanics, it's very easy to guide people into the visual outcome. Um, I know that sounds super complicated, but think of it like this. People like really, um, really look at compound movements like a squat as something very complex. In reality, it's just a, a series of very simple movements. So every, every coach listening to this, or even every lifter listening to this, if they had to cue someone to do a bicep curl or just the action of a bicep curl, should be able to find the language to do that because it's very easy to visualize what that is and what you need to tell someone to do with their body to do that. When there's lots of other things going on, a lot of that movement is byproducts of other things, of the big rocks, of, for me, for the, of those three rules. So once we understand those three rules, we can understand why people move particular ways, and then we can use guide, uh, language to guide them to iron those issues out. So it really starts with just just the basics, like breaking it down and making it super, super simple, following those three rules. And then when you've got someone who isn't that 10th person who isn't fitting the mold, you can then go through and you can guide them while maintaining those three rules. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. Sick. Love it, man. Super cool. So in terms of like, if you're if there's someone on here who's, who's listening and they want to get a bigger deadlift or squat or bench press, right? where would you advise them to start? What would be the most immediate thing you'd tell them to do right now? Probably stop trying to get it bigger. As in, like most people's idea of how am I going to get a bigger deadlift is go try lift more each week. That's, that's, probably, <laughs> that's, that's probably the quickest way to not see progress um, is, to, is to test your strength. It's a real hard pill that a lot of people have to swallow when they get into um, something like powerlifting is understanding that the training is not what they think it's going to be. Like people think powerlifters lift heavy all the time. We never lift heavy. Like ideally, with, a, with an elite level powerlifter, I want them to showcase their strength as little as possible. Because the more time that you spend showcasing your strength, the less time that you spend getting strong. But that doesn't look good for Instagram. No, exactly. Exactly. That's the problem, right? It's we have to find this balance between Instagram and real life. And obviously, Instagram is more important. So you're just going to have to work that out somehow. 
Um, but yeah, my, my, my advice would be stop trying to get stronger, try and take a step back and put in the work that makes you stronger. I remember um, like, cause we're from bodybuilding, like my whole mentality, like back, back in the day, like I was, I was 10 years younger than everyone. I wasn't taking gear at that time. And like my whole mentality was I'm going to outwork everyone. I'm going to suffer more. I'm going to push harder. I'm going to do well. It was really interesting. I was, I was training with Kevin Yuan, um, uh, fucking awesome dude. And, yeah, um, and he was coaching me. And I remember him teaching me, like, you've got to train to a percentage. Like you can't max out every day. I was like, this is shit. <laughs> this is really fucking boring and it's really easy. It almost doesn't feel like you, you're, you're training hard. Uh, it's like you're not doing anything. And I remember I put on like 15 or 20 kilos on my bench in four weeks just from doing that. Yeah. It was incredible. Yeah, it's so interesting how quickly you can express your strength when you decay that fatigue and also work on a, you know, expressing it through a better pattern of movement. Um, you can you can get ridiculous looking results, and it's not that you got 15 kilos stronger as much as like you gave yourself the opportunity to be able to showcase that. Totally, because lifting heavy and hard like it burns you out. It's really yeah. really tough. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's so easy to adapt to feeling like shit and not realize it's going on. Um, and you know, your listeners will resonate this when I say it like this. Just think of the guy or the girl that goes to the gym every week and tries to max out. And it's like they add a little bit, a little bit, a little bit for ages. And then they hit that point where it's like, okay, I've hit 110 kilo bench. Next week, I'm going to go for 115. They fail it. Next week, they go back and they hit 105. Next week, they go back and hit 112. Next week, they hit 107. They just end up in this like little window where it just seems to hover up and down and never actually go beyond that. And you, you don't realize that you're there until ages later. You're like, fuck, I've been benching 110 for a year the fuck is going on? Like it's, it, it's same as sleep. You know, people say, oh, I operate on fine on four hours of sleep. So like, no, you don't. You've just gotten really good at feeling like shit all the time. <laughs> totally. It's the funniest thing that we hear all the time, man, is like people say, oh, I don't need that much sleep. It's like, I function fine without it. I'm like, so why are we having a conversation right now? Like you're coming <laughs> to me with a problem, right? <laughs> Because you you feel like you feel tired throughout the day, you've got a shit sex drive, you can't lose fat. I'm like, you're doing something fucking wrong. <laughs> how, how do you monitor sleep? Like, do you do much with sleep, with recovery, with biomarkers, nervous system, anything like that? With my lifters? Yeah. Not particularly. Only only when problems arise. Yeah, which which kind of sounds a little bit backwards. It sounds like you should be on top of it. Um, I'm I'm all for it. I don't think there's anything wrong with collecting more data. My question is always like, what do you do with that data? Uh, especially like when you um, coaching is an interesting thing like that, because there's so much you can add to your service. That's not a requirement for you to add to your service. And there's a fine line between doing that and, and going outside of your scope. Uh, so I keep my scope very, uh, I prefer to go deeper than wider. So, you know, like I, I'm balls deep in the powerlifting stuff and the technical stuff, the programming stuff. Uh, and I'll, Again, only really try to address that stuff if I perceive them to be an issue. Um, and it, it's if the majority of my clientele were lower level athletes, it's probably something I'd look into doing a little bit more. The higher level athletes tend to be on top of all of these things because they tend to uh, respect that they need to do that. So I guess it's horses for courses as well. Totally. That's one I love that you brought that up because I find that, like, with the higher level guys, the 
they generally have the fundamentals nailed like all the time because it's your fucking life. Like this is what you do. It's where with guys who are a little bit newer to it and the guys who are a little bit less successful, it's funny. Generally the reason why they are less successful all the time is because they're not recovering because they're not sleeping because they're not eating properly. They're not consistent. All those little basic things. So really, I, I guess what I'm taking away from this is that for you, it's keep it fucking simple. It's like simplify everything. Stop overcomplicating everything you're doing and try and utilize the minimum effective dose. Am I interpreting that correctly? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, uh, like, it's it's about being really confident with what you're doing, you know, and you're only going to develop that confidence. Like, I can speak with absolute confidence on what I do, on my three rules, on the zero coaching system, on how we program, on everything, because I've done it thousands of times and seen it work thousands of times. Like, I'm, mm. I'm not making it up. I've got this, like, base of evidence that I can draw from that I constantly look back at and think, how can we improve on this? How can we make this better? Um, and the wider you go with that, like the more you try, constantly try different things. I'm not discouraging trying different things, but you know, if you're going to change things up, be consistent and change it across the board so you can gather this data and figure out where the holes in your system are so you can continue to improve. Well, it's clearly working for you guys because how many gyms do you have now? Um, there are three open at the moment. The fourth one opens in sort of February, March, depending on when our equipment arrives. And there's two more um, that are, we're buying equipment for. At the moment. No shit. So you're going to have six. Six by, yeah, June next year, I'd say. That's pumping, man. That is unheard of in power. Now, I'm assuming that these new ones are all going to be powerlifting. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting. At our core, I guess you could say that we are powerlifting gyms. You know, like mm. it's, it's what this brand has been built on. Really, our gyms... Uh, the majority of people are not powerlifters or are not coming in with the identity of being a powerlifter. You know, we, we might guide them to be that way or, you know, if you're in an environment like this, you tend to, to end up going that way. Um, I prefer to look at it as the gyms are, or the goal of the gyms is to commercialize strength training. Yeah, to, to, to break the mold of what the typical powerlifting gym is in terms of like grungy and dirty and loud and uh, noxious and uh, have a more cleaner look with lots of machines and, um, catered to general strength training mostly why'd you go down that path because it's it's the way to grow powerlifting like it's a, it's an interesting thing so i run a coach development course i teach coaches how to coach that's my jam right um every coach wants to be all, all these powerlifting coaches think that the target market is powerlifters target market is not powerlifters at all because they're already sold like if i market to all the powerlifters on the gold coast i'm marketing to my members why would i do that I've already got them, you know, to get people into powerlifting. Uh, and powerlifting is a terrible word. Like, I try not to use it too much. Really, what I need to do is market to people who are invested in getting stronger, who are serious about their training, get them in an environment where they can continue to get stronger. And the logical next step to showcase your strength is the sport of powerlifting, if you're doing it with the squat bench tip, you know? That's super cool. And, and so, like, with that, you said that most people will just focus on the powerlifting. I mean, that's why you see... I see a lot of powerlifting gyms. I don't see them last very long. Right? That's the, that's the thing. They're, a lot of them, like they come up, they start, they spend fucking shitloads of money on equipment and it's all wham, bam. They've got a leak or everything. It looks wonderful. And then they're gone the next week. So for you, like saying that you're expanding your member base, is that the reason why you've been able to grow from, because you only had, you had one gym. It was 18 months ago now, two years, I think it was. Is that right? Yeah, two years. Yeah, two years ago now, you had one gym and then you've grown through COVID of all things. And then you're at the stage where you're going to have six. 
Like, is that why? Because just purely because of your diversification and for making a more, I, I don't want to say inclusive environment, but I'm going to say inclusive environment, but more like open environment, which is less intimidating and something which can actually develop new people. Yeah. I mean, I think I already had that mindset before. I think I had that mindset for a long time, which contributed from the gym transitioning from a filthy garage gym to something a little bit more refined. I would attribute the growth in the last two years more to understanding business than anything. And, and what you were saying about the typical powerlifting gym, let's just get rid of the word powerlifting and say the typical niche gym or independent gym failing is because most people get into it like I did, which is like, hey, I like this thing. I think I've got something to offer. Let's open a business with it. No business skills, no marketing skills, no idea how to do any of this shit. Um, the only reason I survived is because I had a good product. And you can't survive. You can't grow a big business on one good product with nothing else. Like no, if you, get, you can have the best product ever, but if you've got no one to sell it to because you've got no way of generating leads and getting people in to see your product, how the fuck are you going to grow? And so I'd, I'd attribute most of the success in the last two years to learning more about all the arms of business rather than just the product. Uh, and also taking the first step and opening the second gym and forcing to myself to learn so much more about, you know, structuring how multiple gyms could look has given me the confidence to to do this. How'd you go with that opening through COVID? Yeah, well, I mean, we we opened on February one, we closed on March sixteenth, so uh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Um, for, fortunately, we were we were able to um, a the the Gold Coast gym, like the flagship gym. Because we're such a community and a family, um, I think during the the entire closure, we only lost maybe two members. Uh, everyone, oh, took, shit. yeah, everyone took the equipment home. Everyone did remote coaching. Um, the people that couldn't take equipment home or want, didn't do training in the meantime were like, "Hey, keep my payments going, please. I want to support the gym." Um, you know, we are really only survived because of the grace of the of the family, the community that we have here. Why are they um, so loyal to you? Why do they why do they like Zero so much? Yeah, community, like we we've just got a great community, and I can't attribute that to myself necessarily. It's just a really cool group of people that um, um, that are like minded, and uh, we we have an environment that fosters uh, again community, openness, friendliness, welcoming. Like those are sort of the, the key tenets of our of our physical space. Uh, and how did yeah. you create that? Or your team as well. Like, how was that created? Because that's, that's rare, man. I mean, a lot of gym owners talk about creating community. A lot of people in general, a lot of businesses talk about creating community, but very, very few actually do it. Like, was there anything that you and your crew did or you feel that was a part of it which which allowed that to happen? I think it's just, uh, I completely agree. Everyone says it because it sounds fucking sexy. It's like, yeah, we're all about the people. We're all about the community. Um I think a lot of businesses convince themselves that they are, but they think that the business is their business. Like they think the business exists to serve them. Whereas my view is that my business exists to serve the customer and I get the pleasure of driving that. Um, and so if I'm, if I'm sort of thinking retrospectively, just being there for them, supporting them, going to their competitions, looking after them, being friendly, being welcoming, like it's not hard stuff. It's just, you know, being a leader, you know, being a good leader and being a good, support agent and as part of um being in this place knowing everyone's name greeting them by name it's simple fucking shit what do you feel makes a good leader um leading by example big time you know like 
you want a clean gym, don't leave plates on the bar, don't make a mess on the floor. If you see a piece of rubbish, pick it up and put it in the bin. Even if you're the owner and you've got plenty of staff, like continue to um, exist in the space the way that you want everyone else to exist in the space. I think that's really important. Um, empathy, tactical empathy, fucking listening to your people. Stop talking. Just shut up and listen to what they have to say. Um, not just listening, but hearing, you know, like you can hear someone say, or you can listen to what someone say something, but you can hear something else you can hear what they're really saying. Um, I think, you know, that, that's a skill that I've had to really learn over the year, but the years, but I, it, I think it's been pivotal and, and continue continuing to foster the community. And I, again, like, like you've mentioned a couple of times, I've got a team here, like my, the manager that I've had with me, I'm not sure if he was around when I, um, when I was there with you, I think I hired him shortly after, but like he's an exemplary, was an exemplary member of the community and having him as a figurehead and a leader, it's just even better. You know, like he's, he's the same. He, he preaches these same values. He knows everyone by name. He helps everyone out. He's there for people, you know? simple stuff. That's cool, man. I, I like the way that you hired him. We, we hire in a very similar way. Pretty much all of our team has come from like they've been clients of JCF and they've come and they've grown, they've worked through it, or they've been like a friend or a referral from mm-hmm. someone within our team. Because it's crazy how much more you care once mm-hmm. you've when you've walked in your client's shoes. You know what I mean? And you've been there. It's it's absolutely fucking massive. How are you managing? Because you're growing fucking quick, man. Like gyms aren't, you know, the easiest business model. I mean, fuck, most of them are closed now. You're probably the only person I've known who's managed to 6X pretty well through the, <laughs> the, the time of COVID, which is fucking insane. It's like, how are you managing maintaining your quality and this service and this commitment to your clients through scaling? I mean, like the, the, the ability to scale was already there. As in like, you know, I had figured out a way to scale as an individual and I was unable to continue to scale because there was only one of me. So mm-hmm. like the, the, the system to, scale, to be able to scale was already there before I had staff and extra gyms. Now I've just got more people to actually drive it. Um, so in terms of managing that aspect, that's, that's been relatively simple. Yeah, I mean, my, my role in general has changed a lot, especially in the last six months to a year. Um, I do a lot less actual coaching now. Um, and I'd say by the end of next year, I'll probably only coach a handful of people. So I've gone from, you know, managing upwards of 200 people two years ago to, you know, managing myself directly less than 20 now. Um, so th- that's a big shift to free up more time for me to roll with the coach development course, but also you know, be the leader and be the, um, you know, the kind of manager I need to be of all these people in, in all these gyms. And I mean, it's so easy when I've got such an amazing team of people around me. Hmm. So where do you see yourself? Like, how do you see yourself growing and continue to shift as the business continues to expand? That's a really good question. Like I'm, I'm completely terrible at thinking more than 30 seconds ahead of me. Like I, I had no idea that this would be like this two years ago. No, no idea at all. It's all been organic. It's all been flying by the seat of my pants kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's really hard to say. I, I certainly think I'm at the point now where once this sixth gym opens, I need to chill on the opening of gyms for a little while. Um, uh, because although the product is very scalable, um, it's a very different, it's very different, uh, scaling coaching to scaling gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think if I'm going to scale gyms, I need to 
spend a bit of time just figuring that out. And you can only do that with time. Like it's, mm. It becomes too dangerous to open a bunch more and then lose control or um, run into quality issues where your brand's not being represented. Uh, but I don't know. I'm just making shit up now. I, I honestly don't. <laughs> Keep yeah. making up, bro. It sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly have no, no idea what the role will look like. Yeah. It's, there's something amazing in that, man, in that you're actually living in the moment instead of plan, like living in the future. Um, like one of the things that we coach for a lot, a lot of a lot of guys, fuck, a lot of business owners get this. Like we have these big fucking wonderful dreams of where we want to be, having thousands of employees, turning over millions of dollars, but forget about doing like the day-to-day. And it sounds like you're like purely focused on the day-to-day, which is where all the magic happens. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always been like that, just the nature of, of who I am. And there are detriments to it. Um, there are detriments to it for sure, but um, it's working. <laughs> clearly, clearly, and and so this this course that you've created on on coaching coaches, like on how to be better powerlifting coach, is it? I'm assuming it's for coaches, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what made you want to start that up? Man, I had a I had a bunch of people sort of asking asking me, pestering me, hey, can you teach me how to coach? Hey, can you mentor me? I, I really want mentorship. Like three years ago, maybe a little bit longer. And I was like, I don't even fucking know what I'm doing. I can't teach someone else how to do this shit. Uh, so I just kept saying no, kept saying no. But people kept asking. And finally, someone annoyed me enough to the point where I'm like, fine, let's fucking do it. Uh, so I sat down with them for, I don't know how long it was, went three months or something like that, and just spoke through coaching stuff. And like, you really don't know what your system is until you have to articulate it. So you have to present it to someone else. And in doing so, I started to figure out, okay, like, this is what I actually do. This is actually my system. And in doing so, I was able to refine my own system. My system got better. I was able to produce more results. And so I could go back to other coaches that had asked me and be like, okay, let's sit down and do this. And it just kind of morphed from there. And then I sat down and formalized a year-long course. um, And I've taken 11 intakes through that, so over 100 coaches. Um, And just um, this week, actually, yesterday was my first... uh, my first round, my first intake of the new version of the course, which has more stuff and is shorter. Um, but it's essentially absolutely everything that I do. Like it's me teaching you everything uh, that I know that I do, my system that I've used to create the lifters that I've created. If anybody is listening to this and they're interested in working with you and like learning about what you're doing and, and how, you, how you, you know, you've created a system which has allowed you to coach all a lot of the best record holders and then also build you know a fucking you know a monstrous like little empire now which is super cool um if they want to learn about that like what's the best way for them to get in touch with you I just hit us up on um either on instagram uh, you can go to the zero weakness instagram drop a dm or um, go to the website zero.com.au zero's got a w on it zero's got a w on it yeah that's the right way to spell it isn't it yes yeah <laughs> Correct. Correct. Remember that. I'll, I'll check that in the in the um in the description below. But man, thank I just you. want to say thank you so much for coming on, dude. It's been a real fucking pleasure to catch up with you again. No problem. Anytime. Love this shit. Yeah. Awesome. All right, man. Have an awesome day. You too. Thanks, brother. Talk to you next time. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there.